Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Barard. I'm your host, Michelle Barard, founder and CEO of Michelle Barard LLC. And I'm really pleased to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that we bring. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we have grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guests on the February 17th, 2023 show, founders of Emerald Books, Jessica Hammerman and Isaac Peterson. You can connect with Jessica and Isaac on LinkedIn and at their website, www.emerald-books.com. That's emerald-books.com. If you miss that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the February 17th show at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is essential that we share this message with the youth. And it's not just for the kids. Sometimes we adults need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, this month's guest is a joy to chat with, and she has a beautiful mission. Anne Arsenault is a native of New Orleans, Louisiana, and is an experienced educator who started her teaching career in the Chicagoland area and continued working in education in the Houston, Texas area. Her span in the education field included, but was not limited to, teaching language arts and science in an integrated manner and working as a campus science instructional coach. Although she thought she would never work in education again, Anne moved back to Louisiana after working in the oil and gas industry for six years. Upon her return, Anne instructed gifted students in fifth through eighth grades in St. Tammany Parish Public Schools. She also worked as a STEM lab facilitator at Ursuline Academy in New Orleans. She is currently the educational television technology specialist at the PBS affiliate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Anne's mission in life is to empower young people to know themselves and to believe they can reach their highest potential. Along with Tooney, Anne is developing a series called Gifted Glenn. In addition to writing for children, Anne creates poetry and stories for adults. So I'd like to welcome Anne Arsenault to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Barard. Anne, thank you for being on the show with me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I am super excited because this is actually a reconnection. We've known each other from a long time ago. And I was so excited to see that you had published a book. And I really wanted to learn more about you and your journey. And so to do that, I like to ask two questions. Okay. If you're ready. Let's go. All right. And Arsenal, who are you and how did you become who you are today? Well, who I am is a person who is first and foremost a child of God. And uh, I'm a mother, a grandmother, a daughter, and a sister. And I love life more now than I did when I was young. 
and full of life because I've learned so many things and I, I internalize the things that I've learned. And um, so now I am an author, you know? So um, I have been an educator for many years. I worked in the oil and gas industry and now I'm working with um, public broadcasting with teenagers and tweens. And I hope to uh, put into their lives a joy of reading because that has created such a vast world for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said a couple of things that really struck me. Okay. The first one that you said, and this may be the most important one, was that you've learned so much. What kinds of lessons inform your writing? So the lessons that inform my writing are life lessons. The pains in life have created the most joy for me. So as I said earlier, I internalize the things that I learned. So everything that has caused me to falter in life or to fall, I've taken it and brushed myself off and thought to myself, maybe not specifically or formal, formally thought to myself, but I think that I have created a new space from the bad things that have happened to me. I think I've, I've said, okay, now what can I learn from this? What can I do about this? And how can I make it the best opportunity for me? And so that's what I've done. So what you're talking about, I think, is when people talk about transmuting that energy. How does that show up in life? Like in a practical way. Give me an example, if you don't mind, of something that you experienced that at the time you were like, man, this sucks. (laughs) This is terrible. (laughs) My life is over. And then later you were able to say, okay, I get it. I, when I got married, I got married for life. And that's the way I felt about it. I felt like, okay, I respect this partner and this partner respects me and we're creating a family and a life together. And then things changed and we got divorced. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't planning on that. I wasn't anticipating that. I know that we had problems here or problems there, but I always thought, well, we get over them and, you know, we've, we've accomplished so much together. And so when he, when he asked for the divorce, I was devastated. And I thought that my life was, I knew it was transitioning. I knew that there was going to be something different, but I felt deflated Mm -hmm. and, um, I just thought that nothing good could come from it because I thought, well, my three children would have to change everything in their lives. Mindsets would have to change. Locations would have to change. Everything would have to change. But what I learned from it was so much. Um, Before I got my divorce, I started looking for a house of my own and I wanted to start my own, you know, life in a new property, everything new. And two days after the divorce, I signed on my own property and um, I haven't looked back except to write. 
because writing is, is cathartic and everybody mm -hmm. knows that who writes, um, you have this catharsis and it promotes healing and it promotes growth and it just opens so many new understandings and new feelings and you just get so much from it, you know? So um, yes, my divorce seemed like the end of the world, but what it was, was a door, a big, big door opening to a brand new world that's just more amazing. You know, I think that's interesting. I, I tell people all the time, I've been divorced. Okay. I don't wish it upon my worst enemy. No, ma'am. <laughs> Nobody wins in divorce except the lawyers. That and is correct. At the same time, I feel sometimes women don't win in marriage. Um, because there's so much, I think, that we give of ourselves in the course of a marriage. Not saying that men don't give of themselves, but I think women we do triple duty, right? We, yes, we do. We do mom, we do wife, we do work, business, whatever our things are. And if you have multiples of those, my goodness. And it's expected. And it's expected. You know, I remember my first husband, um, I would get home from work. I'd go straight to the kitchen to start cooking and things of that nature. And he's off to play basketball. Correct. <laughs> and Correct. It, it's not saying that you can't go. I couldn't have gone off to play basketball or tennis or whatever I wanted to do. It was just the way the relationship developed early on. What do you say to young women who are thinking about their relationships? You know, you're, you're working with teenagers now, tweens and teens. And right. that's a really good place to catch them <laughs> and yes, have them think about relationships a little differently. What would you say to women, you know, young women at that age? I have so many things to say to them that I actually, my second book that's coming out, well, my first book is, is completely about talking to young women specifically. And then my next book, the book of poetry has quotes and songs and, and poems and prose and all these things that are, I guess, advice to young women. And I did work in a high school last year and it was a great experience because sometimes I would say things and they didn't quite get it. It would go over their heads. And then when I explained it to them, they would look away like, oh, she's teaching me something. <laughs> and one of the girls, my oldest student came back to me and she goes, Ms. Arsenault, I have got to keep in touch with you because some of the things that you tell me just make so much sense. And you've got it me, you know, this year and to college and all these things. And there's nothing more rewarding than immediate feedback because teaching, you don't get that immediate feedback all the time. So when you do teach somebody older who makes that connection quickly, like she did, it's, it's just it's priceless. Yeah. And um, yes, I have a lot of things to tell young women. And the main thing is get your passion satiated before you do anything else in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my poems, I can't, I don't know if this, this is a PG uh, audience, but one <laughs> of my poems ends with before you do certain things, make sure you meet life's passion and then get a ring and then it 
yeah, it, it continues awesome. on. With that. So, well, yeah. you just said something very key. And we don't have to be a PG audience. Okay. <laughs> um, is there a poem or a quote or something you'd like to share related to that? So do you want me to read that specific poem? Because sure. I have a more PG one. If you, <laughs> I'll leave it to you to decide. How about that? Okay, let me read the more PG one because I do have okay. that one available right now. It's, a, it's called Villain. It says, reconsider your villain, reassess who causes all your miseries. Sharks will bite. Have you seen their teeth? A snake will slither. That's how it travels. A roach, prowl, a roach prowls in the darkness. It's survival method. Narcissists lacking empathy are being true to their nature too. Begging, shouting, complaining, pleading will not muster sensitivity in them. What causes your attraction to them? Therein lies your culprit. Never swim where sharks lurk, nor wallow in tall weeds amongst serpents. When you remove the magnet from within that continues to draw detriment toward you, only then will your villain be banished. Ooh. So that one's not just specifically to girls. That's for everybody. Right. The other one is not PG, but it's specifically, <laughs> it's specifically to young women. So. Wow. But you know, you really said a lot in that poem. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, it sounds to me like one of the lessons you want to share with, I'm going to say young people, not just young women. It's not just women. You're correct. Yeah. Um, is that they have to really understand themselves know thyself know thyself that is that is probably one of the number one lessons that I have learned in my life because mm -hmm. when you're young you know you do what you do you're just living mm -hmm. you know and um you're more drawn by the wind than you are as an adult but as you get older, you think before you talk, you think before you do. And part of that is knowing who you are. And would I say that? No, I wouldn't say that. So I won't regret saying things because I thought, is that me before I say them? Whereas when I was 15, I, I just talked, you know, and then I thought later, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You eliminate your, your regrets by thinking first, right? I don't know if you ever eliminate your regrets by thinking first. Sometimes you think and you're like, I just thought the wrong doggone thing. <laughs> yeah, you lessen your regrets. Let's hope so. Don't eliminate, you never eliminate them totally, but no. you do lessen the regrets and their effect. If you think well, and as you go through life, you're still learning, right? Because, you know, I'm... Over 50, and right. I think I still learn something new every single every day. day. Yeah. So how do you encourage the people, the young people that you work with to, you know, start to know themselves, to start to understand who they are? That's a really good question. Um, first of all, when I was teaching in the school, um, one of the things that I taught, I was in a STEM lab, 
So mm -hmm. they had to do projects that were um, STEM based, but also had liter literary function to them and research functions to them. And, you know, a lot of times when they would think, well, where do I start? I would say, well, what makes you the happiest? What makes you feel comfortable? What makes you uh, let your guard down the most? And what would you feel comfortable talking about? What would you feel comfortable presenting? And that is how um, that is how I always started. So that would be my best answer to that question. So you're really talking about listening to your heart. Listen to your heart, but use your mind. Let your mind use your mind. That heart. <laughs> Well, I mean, they work in, in tandem, right? So, but in terms of like for, you were talking specifically about academics at that point, right. you know, right. and, you know, hashtag STEM, yay, I, I'm a big fan. Come, you know, I have a tech background, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the STEM programs around mm -hmm. the country. But, and especially if they're encouraging girls to get into tech. Right, because we really weren't, important. I don't know if you remember that, but we weren't. No, well, I will say that there was a teacher at Ben Franklin who I took my first programming class there. And I remember wow. at the end of the class, she said to me one day, you know, you should become a programmer. You think like a computer. Now, you see, she was forward in her, her thinking because a lot of teachers back then weren't like that. It wasn't yeah. thought that, that we were going to be good at those things, which oh, no. both she of was us have proven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that we can be good in science and writing at the same time. Yeah. So she was amazing. And I wish I'd listened to her, to be honest with you. I was way focused on hanging out and having fun. But, yep. <laughs> but, um, but that's, I think it's really important, particularly to encourage girls. But when we're talking about in the academic arena, and there's so many areas where people are encouraged in different directions, you know, for example, my son, he just told me he is one of, I think, two people of color in his STEM classes. His, he's doing biochem. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to get these really serious geeky kids. I've got one with a chemistry <laughs> degree and another one doing biochem or whatever. I'm like, Good. that's way above my pay grade. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he's only one of two at a huge university. And that troubles him naturally. As well, it shouldn't. You know, so how do you, what do you think kids can do to tap into their heart space, figure out, you know, hey, are you the kid who likes, you know, seeing frogs on the ground and, you know, I don't know, looking at the insides of fish when right. your grandfather's cleaning and gutting the fish, you know, grandfather my daddy made me clean my own fish oh well no I wasn't allowed to do that I watched Papa do it <laughs> what were you um that that takes adults in a lot of cases mm -hmm. um that's why we need to get more adults to um to volunteer and to be that big brother or that big sister um that that takes adults in a lot of cases but as far as students go, um, I don't know how students think today as opposed to how I thought back in the day. I wasn't thinking about what I wanted to do at 50 when I was 17. I'm just being honest. My daughter did. Um, and so 
I think it takes a special a special student to have that on their own, but mm -hmm. students should be encouraged to go and talk to adults. If the adults aren't reaching out to them, they need to go and talk to the school counselor, talk to your favorite teacher, talk mm -hmm. to the principal, talk to your parents, your aunts, your uncles, somebody. Mm -hmm. But students need to go out and pursue adults if the adults aren't pursuing them to get the information from adults that they can. Well, and I've said in the past to people that I feel like our parents did the best they could in terms of giving guidance. At the time that you and I were getting out of school, you know, it was get a college degree and get a good job. Right. And that's all anybody ever said. There wasn't this concept of finding your passion or seeing what you love the most and figuring out how to build a career around that. And then so, we took aptitude tests in school and exactly. mine was like this. You know, <laughs> some people had science or math or language. Mine was like this. It was even in every area. And then I had my parents who both went to Xavier and they were like, just go to Xavier. You'll finish in four years. <laughs> And that's all I was told. I mean, I wasn't told anything else. Exactly. Exactly. And oh, for the record, my aptitude test told me I would be a good urban planner. I was like, I don't even know what an urban planner is. Nobody civil, ever. Like a civil engineer? I still don't know what an urban planner is. It's a civil engineer. That's what I would think. <laughs> but just saying that they give, they, they give this information to kids. In the or back then, in the form of a test. It's better now. It's so much better now. I'm so glad. Well, my I could see the difference with my kids uh, mm -hmm. in terms of how guidance worked, and I do think the tests are cool to kind of give you that sense of areas where you seem to show some strength. If you but, do, yeah, if they do, but Not if you're equal in every area. <laughs> What, but if you're equal in every area, that tells you something too. That tells you that you are amazing in a lot of different areas and you have the whole world at your disposal. But I, I think that when you have one thing, you can focus on that and go. If you have so many things, you're like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. And you're like, what if you don't like do one thing? Right. <laughs> it <laughs> <could be>. <laughs> that was <laughs> But no, I think that it, I think that um, I felt like we didn't have a lot of guidance. And what I, I hoped that I would see more of, and I think I did from the schools, but really I had to basically lay out to my kids, listen, I didn't have a lot of guidance. So I'm going to suggest that you do this, 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 and this. Well, in some cases I just insisted. I'm, I'm making I that. a suggestion, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that after doing it a couple of times, by the third time, that younger one had seen what the other two went through and he was like, okay, I better just get on board, you know, and, and mama. go through the pro process. Well, it was really more about the process. Okay. Is, there, is there a process that you went through with your kids to help them prepare for going to college and thinking about their majors? I, I mean, because I said that I think College is wasted on 18-year-olds because you really don't know it. It really know. is. And I was fortunate in that my, my children went to school in Texas. And in Texas, there were programs where they could do something in high school.
for two years. And my oldest daughter, well, she just took college courses for two years mm-hmm. and she finished LSU earlier than she should have because she just went straight through. Ever since she was five, she knew she wanted to, what she wanted to do and she did it and wow. she's doing it. But my other two, my son took nursing for two years in high school, which was good in a way, but bad in another way, because he realized at first he wanted to go into medicine. He wanted to be a doctor, but it made him realize that he did not want to be. And instead of, well, but instead of the second year doing something else, he stayed in nursing Uh and it was kind of a waste of time to me. And my youngest daughter went into engineering. She did the engineering route and um, she decided not to do that also. So she's talking about architecture, but, you know, it's good in a way if, if it helps you um, to get there sooner. My son's friend did diesel mechanics. He knew he didn't want to go to college. He did diesel mechanics. Now he's been a diesel mechanic and he's doing very well. He's very happy. And he's making a ton of money, by the way. And, you know, um, but he figured that out in high school. Right. That's an awesome program. That's an awesome program. I think there's some value to learning what you don't like as well. Even I think we sometimes perceive it as a waste of time because we're thinking as parents. But, I mean, I remember telling my dad, I'm not ready to go to college. I just want to sit out for one year, figure out what I want to do. I don't want to. And he was like, no, if you don't go to college, you'll, if you don't go now, you'll never go back or whatever, whatever. And I had to strike a deal with him. I basically (laughs) said, listen, I'll go for this first year, but if I'm not happy at the end of the year, I'm, I I want to sit out. And he's like, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. And I think he figured I'd go and it would be delightful and I would just push through, but I actually did sit out. I did the same thing. I went for a year and then I left, but I got a hair license and I paid for my own college. That way nobody could tell me what to do. So when I sat out, I went to beauty school, got a cosmetology license, had a nice, really nice business. And I finished, I did go back to college, did finish college. And it all worked out, but exactly. But you needed out was that good. time. But you needed that time, just like I did. And what I did during that time was I worked, and I figured out what I liked and what I didn't like, or more of what I liked and what I didn't. That's awesome, right? You know. So sometimes that's what you have to do is really figure it out, you know. And I wonder if are we giving our kids enough space to do that these days? Because I know when we were younger, they were very opposed to yes and some students um there were some students in the high school um that said that they wanted to do that and one of them had parents who were allowing it oh good so yes i do know that that's still a thing and um yes okay maybe one parent but i don't know how many other parents have agreed to that so when you are working with these young people, do you also get to work with their parents or, or interact with them and kind of see where their heads are about? Unfortunately, when I was in high school, it was still, I guess, the COVID realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and only a couple of parents did I actually work one-on-one with as far as working with the kids and the parents. Um, let's see, about three or four parents. Yes. So yes. And you can tag team them if parents allow. 
<laughs> parents do uh, still, you know, talk to teachers and say, hey, I'm trying to get them to do this. They respect you. Can you please kind of bring it up? And yeah, that still goes on. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Well, when you were, so most of the teaching you've been doing the last few years, I forget it was in a COVID environment. Yes. How has that been for you in terms of working, particularly with these older kids who really kind of need, I think. A socialization. And more guidance. Yes. All I view the teenage years to be like the terrible twos in some ways because they're testing boundaries. And if and you can having, imagine. Yeah. Being in a pandemic, having social media, and being a teenager and teaching them <laughs> that it, it's it's difficult it's quite difficult um i don't remember what your question was because i got overwhelmed just now but oh. um, yeah teaching in the pandemic environment has been quite difficult as far as you know you're teaching some kids online you're teaching some kids in person um it's been overwhelming and um, teachers are having a really, really hard time right now. Yeah. But that's all I can say about that right now. Well, what about the students? I mean, are you finding that uh, my, fortunately for me, my youngest was a senior when the pandemic kicked off. So he at least got through, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but I, <laughs> right. You know, when they shut down the classrooms, he was a few months from graduation. So it's not like these folks that have little kids and, you know, middle schoolers and those who were still yeah. going through high school. I feel sad for the kids, quite yeah. sad for them. Um, you have kids bringing blankets to school with them and stuffed animals to school with them. And it's just really sad to see because you you want to take that away from them mm -hmm. and say, no, this is, this is not the time for that because they have to realize there's a time to be professional. And then there's a time to put your cozy slippers on and, and cuddle up on the sofa. And those two aren't supposed to meet. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a weird dynamic for their socialization. They're not getting to go to parties. Like we used to go to a party every weekend. And I mean, fairs and all these fun things. They're not getting to do that, but they're still having to go to school mm. and they're trying to initiate, you know, here's a, you know, you can have this dance and we're going to have the dance outside and all these things, but they need that, the hug that the blanket, the blanket brings them in class and they need the, the, the coziness that their stuffed toy brings to them in class. It's just very hard to watch. So I can't even imagine. I do know that this was not at Ursuline. This was at another school. But um, student was having trouble and the parents wanted to get hospitalization for her. But the, the hospitals were overwhelmed. And I'm talking about the, you know, from the emotional standpoint. And um, all of the students, I mean, not all, but a large percentage of these students are going through um, mental breakdowns Mm -hmm. that that would not normally happen because the percentage of this mental issue is so much higher now than it was I say before when I taught because I taught in Texas then I went to work for Exxon in their lab because my kids were grown and then I 
came back to Louisiana and I decided I was going to teach again. Right. And so the first time I taught, kids were happy-go-lucky. Then I came back and that's when the pandemic hit, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. um, just the overwhelming sense of a need for mental stability just on a day-to-day basis was just, I mean, it was on steroids from the first time I taught, you know, um, you didn't have to worry about, oh, is, if I say this, is this going to affect the students? You're just, mm-hmm. you just taught mm-hmm. and you just did. And maybe one kid might get offended or maybe one kid might have a breakdown or maybe one kid is going through some things at home or two or whatever. But mm-hmm. when you have 30 kids and 28 of them or 22 of them are going through mental issues to the point where if you say something it's going to strike a chord makes it very difficult to just teach a lesson yeah well you know and then I wonder because it harkens me back you mentioned Louisiana for people who don't know uh, Ann and I are from Louisiana from New Orleans and it harkens me back to Katrina Right. And we actually ended up in Georgia yeah. after Katrina. And my daughter was talking with friends who were still in Louisiana oh, wow. when, the, when the phones came back. Because our cell phones were still tied to the 504 numbers. We couldn't even use our phones for a while. Wow. And yeah. yeah, because of the way the cell towers were designed and the way they pinged back and all that back then. Right. And when she got back in touch with her friends, they seemed to be suffering so much that, and I know the adults were trying to put life back together, Mm -hmm. right? They were trying to make sure they had a safe place to live. They had clean drinking water and all of that. So I, my feeling was, and again, this is from the outside because we were Mm -hmm. in Georgia, right? That the adults were so busy trying to put life back together for everybody that some of the kids were slipping through the cracks. She even had a friend who at like 14 years old was getting her stomach pumped because she had been drinking so much. And, And I felt then like, man, these kids are going through it and maybe nobody realizes it. They weren't seen. Yeah. Do you feel like the kids at least this time around, and I can only imagine what it's like, again, for those parents as well, trying to work and they were trying to help teach classes and overseeing, you know, at-home school and all that. But do you think the kids this time feel like they're being seen a little more or maybe are getting some of that support that's needed? More so by each other. I think that um, because it's a worldwide thing and because there's social media, and back then, there wasn't that in Katrina times. There, there wasn't really a social basis uh, on the internet the way it is now. Right. Um, I think that they have more, uh, more accessibility to help mm-hmm. um, that say the Katrina babies didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, they are seen a little bit more, maybe not by their parents because their parents are going through, like you said, so much. But I think by schools and by 
the internet and the internet is not always a good place for students, but I have seen people reaching out to other people and, you know, um, TikTok or Instagram where people come on and say, hey, if you're feeling this sort of way, um, because I'm tapped into teens, you know, spots on those, there are people who reach out to other people and say, hey, you know, um, if you're feeling this sort of way, take a deep breath or take some seconds out and look away or, I mean, there's just these, these little momentary um, segments of videos that are there for them. And the students have shared that same thing with me. Um, so yes, there's more for them than there was for your, your kids. My kids weren't living in Texas. I mean, in, in Louisiana, they were in Texas, but my sister's kids came to live with us. One was 11 and one was 17. And before my daughter went to live with her daddy back in Louisiana, because she was ready to graduate from high school and she wanted to be with her class. And I did see, you know, how devastated they were. And it was, it was so hard. It was yeah. so hard. Never yeah, want to experience that again. Yeah, that was sad. God willing and the river don't rise, as they say. So, um, but um, so if you had three pieces of advice for any, let's say, young person who wanted to write and maybe share their thoughts and stories and emotions with people, what would those things be that you advise them? First thing I would advise them to do is um, keep their phone accessible at all times and have notes available because the notes uh, app on my phone, it's invaluable because I'll be thinking something and I don't have paper or I don't have my computer or whatever. But I and I can't talk, I can't write or type or anything. So I grab my phone, I open notes, and I say what it is I'm thinking about about writing, and that has saved so many stories and poems from being squashed because <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't have them because I would forget because that happens. I'll be like, that's good, and I don't <laughs> have to write it, you know. Um, so first of all, when you're thinking it write it then. Um, the next thing I would say is um, as long as you keep it on a positive note, social media is your friend. And um, talk to people. And I don't mean in an unsafe way. I mean, talk to people you know, <laughs> and talk to people who are kind, and just get experiences vicariously. Because you don't want to have to experience all the things I've experienced in life in order to have something to write. Mm. Get vicarious experiences as much as you can. And you'll start seeing those experiences corroborate between different folks. Um, talk to old people. And the next thing I would say is make a website and put excerpts of your work on your website with a blog. And always, always jot down everything you can. Because sometimes your story writes itself. I think that's really great. So <laughs> I will say you're probably the first educator I have ever heard advise kids to keep their phones handy. I know, right? <laughs> well, working in the STEM lab, 
they actually were able to use their phone in my room unless they weren't able to. So if they're working on a project and they needed their phone, mm-hmm. they were able to film with their phones. Oh, beautiful. Or, you know, whatever. And if they weren't supposed to have it out or they didn't have permission, then I got to take it. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, no, I think that's funny because, you know, I work with authors and that's one of the things that I advise. Keep your phone handy because when you have an idea, you can talk into it. Or if you like typing, you can open up notes and type in it. And I will give you a little. Another thing, pictures. Oh, and pictures are amazing. Take a picture of everything that inspires you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Take pictures and video. One of the things that, um, although I am going to say this, this is a, a little side note. Okay. I don't know if you experienced this with your kids. It used to drive me nuts when random strangers would just take pictures of my kid, like at Jazz Fest and stuff like that. It used to drive me absolutely batty because I'm like, could you at least ask permission? Because I don't happen to us a couple of times. Yeah. I'm like, this is drives me nuts. So don't just take random pictures of people's kids without Not asking. People. I'm talking about sunsets or yeah. Well, but yeah. they may be inspired by. And it's fit or some by person, just ask permission is all I'm saying, because you never know. The person may not think it's appropriate. So, and that's very rude and disrespectful. <laughs> Don't take pictures of their dog or anything <laughs> like that without their permission. Um, but there's an app that I'm going to share because it is absolutely the best. I, I think it's a great app. It's called Super Note. Okay. Never you can record, it. you can type what's on. I know it's on the iPhone. I don't know if they have it on the Android, but you can, okay. you can record, you can type, you can do all of those things in it. And then you can download the files or email the files to yourself and have them for later. So that's just one of my little writer's tips that yeah. goes along with yours about recording. Yeah, I love it. So, Anne, how can people connect with you? Right now, I have uh, a TikTok and I have a Facebook. And right now I'm working on getting a website, um, which I don't have right now. Um, and yeah, that's, those are, those are the, uh, and I have an email address. I don't know if that counts as one, but yes. So my, um, my Facebook account is Ann Arsenault. That's A-N-N-E. A-R-C-E-N-E-A-U-X. My children's book that I have right now is on all of the book platforms from Amazon to Book Baby to all of them. Um, and it is called A Horse Named Toonie. Um, and my, my TikTok account is called Analytical Animations, all one word. Beautiful. Beautiful. And Arsenal, thank you for joining me on Somewhere in the Middle. Thank you for having me. It has been so fun talking to you. Well, that's our show this month, guys. You can reach out to me online at michellebarad.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Urban Book Editor. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Make sure you tune in to the show on April 21st when my guest will be estate sale expert Jason Zara. You can find us once a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at 
the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.